0: Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. We're going to have a quick, uh, fast intro section here. I'm going to get through it really quickly because um, I've been working extremely hard on the Gem Wizards Tactics story mode, which should be going up maybe tonight, probably tomorrow. Uh, But... um, Yeah, I'm really excited about it because I feel like it it does a really good bridge between the tutorial, which is very simple, um, into, uh, the main gameplay, which is very complex very quickly. So, uh, story mode will be good at helping players have a little more time to, um, get affiliated with the mechanics and also to kind of fall in love with the world and the characters and stuff like that, which is, yeah, I think as important as anything else. Anyways, that's all I've got to say about that. Um, We're going to get right into the conversation. You probably know who Justin Ma is. If you don't know Justin Ma, you definitely know uh, uh, the games uh, that Justin has worked on, uh, FTL, Into the Breach. Both really big hits. And so, yeah, I was really excited to talk to them about this, you know, uh... We're in sort of a similar world of making these single-player indie strategy game kind of things. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted to bounce off of uh, them and see what they thought about, uh, you know, uh, especially game design theory type of questions. And I think we ended up getting into a lot of that stuff. So, um, yeah, please enjoy my conversation with Justin Ma. All right, Justin Ma, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I recognize that you've been on a good number of podcasts uh, talking about games and game development and stuff, and this is a really like sort of rulesy, systemic kind of uh, podcast. So I definitely okay. want to get into you know your thoughts about um, things like randomness and uh, and how to use information and and things like that. But uh, first, I do want to get a little bit of your background, just like um, you know, what's your If you if you like went to college, you know what did you study? Like, where do you what do you see as your background uh, before game dev, or have you always been into game dev, etc.? Sure, yeah. Um, Growing up, uh,
1: my father worked in video games on the business side, so I was kind of exposed to the early age to the way games are made. Um, I went to college, and I realized I wanted to work in games, but everyone I talked to at studios and stuff said, at that time, undergraduate, what do you major in doesn't really matter. Like everyone was, you know, architecture or just some English studies or anything. Mm -hmm. So I just majored in something I was interested in, which was Chinese uh, history and culture. And then after graduating, uh, my wife, then girlfriend and I moved to China, which is how I ended up getting into the games industry. I don't think I would have been able to find a game's job relatively easily in the U.S. where I was born, um, but in China it was not too hard. And then I was working at uh, 2K Games Shanghai Studio for about two years. Um, initially, I didn't know what I would want to go into. Like I did a lot of art growing up, so I sort of assumed I would be doing art. But it was pretty quickly discovered that I, I'm way better in the sort of game design space. And after about two years working at 2K where I met Matthew Davis. Um, we both were going to leave China, but before doing so we said, Hey, let's just make some prototypes together for a year since it's so cheap to live in Shanghai. Uh, yeah, we just saved up some money and just worked on some random junk. The first project of which became FTL. And once we realized we couldn't actually make a commercial product out of this and, uh, talk to enough people to get advice we formed a company ran that kickstarter way back when and then um actually released FTL, and it did way better than we ever imagined so we've sort of just been trucking along and trying to recreate that super creative relaxed development atmosphere that we had initially
0: ever since for the past 10 years or so so was FTL the first game that you sort of made from, you know, like to completion I guess, would you say? Or had you been making, you know, games and prototypes before that by yourself, uh, not with 2- 2K but on your own? Uh yeah, I mean, I had made a lot of prototypes
1: that never went anywhere. Um I had seen the act of finishing products at 2K and FTL was definitely the first game that I've, you know, done a hefty amount of the work from
0: beginning to end, for sure. Gotcha. Matt as well, I believe. Did you? So, do you have a background also in uh, like tabletop games, uh, board games, and things like that? Yeah, Matt
1: and I uh, became friends essentially through bonding over board games in Shanghai. Uh, we had a small group that we'd play a lot of stuff, uh, everything from Twilight Imperium to uh, Game of Thrones, the board game, um, and. Battlestar Galactica was a... Uh, oh, I love one that one. ...at least returned to. Yeah, it was, like, one of our favorites.
0: Yeah. yeah so, alert. for me, board games... So, I was a video game person growing up my whole life, and then I think it wasn't until I was, like, in my late 20s or something or, or so, mid-late 20s, that I discovered, like, designer board games. And mm-hmm. to me, it was just, like you know, like a head explosion kind of moment of like, because it's for a game designer, someone who's like interested in like systems and things like that. Uh, it just seems like there's so much, uh, like, I don't want to say more going on, but like there's so much more uh, like creative on the system side and and, and innovative and, and they try so many different things. And it, it made me like look at, it totally changed my perspective on game design generally. Uh, the experience mm-hmm. of, you know, like in the early 2010s and uh, 2010s, yeah, around the early 2010s was really when I started getting into it and I wonder if that ha- uh that how much you attribute um your design aesthetics or your uh perspective or philosophies uh towards uh board game design or if it if you feel like it comes from another source. Hmm. I think um design
1: inspiration me personally maybe 30% from board games just cuz um what has left the longest impressions on me is my experience with video games i never really got into board games that late but i mean growing up i did like read through you know dungeons and dragons manuals um and you know i didn't actually have friends to play with who would play games like that when i was a kid like my Mm -hmm. brother and i would sort of you know mess around and make characters and make spells and stuff but we never like played any of those games so I mean I, I adore just poring over those manuals and and stuff like that the I know matt definitely takes a lot of his inspiration from board games um he he's definitely got bit by that bug uh super strong uh, from my perspective I mean board games I won't I don't know about more like design systems going on but because they're so pure like it's just it's basically just you know game design mm. you look at video game uh, the overall experience and work that went into this and and also the experience of playing it you know it's like 20 percent game design whereas board games are like 95 you just have yeah. like some art and some like some setting and everything else you, you know, just mechanics which is i mean i i i think that's why they've always been so intimidating for me like i've never tried to make one because you can't hide behind anything it's mm. just the mechanics um but i mean they also have a very specific language i think that while it's incredibly freeing you can make a board game about absolutely anything very often they they get stuck in the same sort of uh loops and mindsets and mechanics and and you know every once in a while you see one that really breaks the mold but um in general it feels like very like iterative uh sort of small steps that i've seen in board games not that that's a bad thing i mean i love yeah
0: games. i agree i think that there was there was kind of an explosion in the 2000s it seems like and and then like things sort of calcified a little bit uh perhaps in the last you know 10 or 15 years um yeah. in in board games and and like yeah like i don't i actually don't play that many board games and i'm not like you know i i'm not necessarily like a huge board game fan um, as much as I am appreciated, uh, I, like they, uh, they seem to like unlock a certain thing for me about like a way to think about systems that seems totally applicable to digital games. And in mm. fact, some of like, one of my, one of the things that bothers me the most about, um, board games is you know just how, how much effort, because they're, as you say, just design, they're just like raw rules. It just, it, it, it there's so much horsepower that's required by the players to like make it, make it, uh, you know, instantiate and, hmm. uh, and 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 to learn the rules and to get everyone together to play the game and all this stuff. And so uh, one of my an interesting thing that I think about a lot is digital board games and sure. how they're like they're kind of like the sort of stuff that you make a little bit. They're like these you know, sometimes they can be played single player or versus bots or whatever. And I actually, that's, that's what I find myself doing the most, uh, these days is I I just play like race for the galaxy against the bot for like a million times in a row. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, I guess like what I'm trying to get at is like, there's this blending that can happen in the future between sort of board game aesthetics and, um, design aesthetics and video game, um, like user experience, uh, all this stuff that we've learned about um, how to make things kind of go down smooth for players, uh, things like affordances and things like that. And to blend those together, um, I think that there is something in the future that, uh, that we're like, we're kind of like, you know, chipping away at and we're getting towards something like that. I wonder if that's a, a thought that's occurred to you or, or if you have anything to say about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've wondered a lot about the, the blending of the two. Cause I haven't seen anything that really capitalizes on what the best of both worlds is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at games like XCOM, the board game, and um, it kind of feels like it should just be a video game, mm. um, I guess. And then you look, you know, I played Ascension and a bunch of board games uh, apps mm-hmm. myself. Like, I-, I would have trouble playing Ascension or any of the like traditional Deck building games physically just because it's just shuffling. It's just you shuffle uh, forever. Yeah. It's like 50% of your physical space time is uh, shuffling. And so, like, just burning through that like felt fine. And I enjoyed trying to play it that way. But you also, like, it's like, well, why does it have to be cards then? Like, if, if you're just doing that anyways, why does it have to be these things that are emulating physical? experiences without any of the benefit like the real benefit of having a hand and a deck is you just you're holding it it just feels good and you pick one with your hands and you put it just well it's hidden information it's
0: one of the only ways you can do hidden information on a in a tabletop game too
1: sure yeah but i just mean literally the physical aspect of Mm. of holding things and moving pieces i feel and also being in the same room as people that's like 50% 50% of the enjoyment of board games, in my opinion. Like, why is board games better or how are board games better than video games? It's that. It's the physical, it's the mm. spatial. You you look around, you can see it from all sides. You have you're oriented with the people around you, and then there's all like a story that goes based on turns rather than just some sort of abstract whose turn is it now in in civilization and stuff. It actually feels different as you go around in the circle. Like there's a lot of like like I don't know, cultural value Mm -hmm. in, in that sort of stuff. It feels like a conversation rather than, you know, like talk about tweeting to someone versus talking with someone. There's a lot of stuff going on, facial expressions or whatever that you're missing. So like board games have a lot of that in terms of like mechanics though. Like I'm trying to think of ones that I felt blended the two really well together. Like maybe the closest thing would be like space alert where it's just literally a CD that you put on. That's essentially a timer and telling you what to do, so that you don't have to like manage dial like a like a sand clock, hourglass, or drawing cards and t- under time pressure or something like that. Sure, like yeah, like that. That felt fine to me. I I, yeah, I was
0: I'm I'm less interested in just like oh this is like a board game that has a CD with it or those kinds of like very you know direct mixing of two sort of worlds but more of like a uh, like the design aesthetics like I remember like when I found like I don't know Tigris and Euphrates or something you know the fact that uh, do you know that game? Uh the name is familiar. It's it's a Reiner Knizia tile laying game. But like for example, that game has this scoring mechanism where. um the pl- Let me see if I can word this properly. It's like, so you have f- well, like four colors, like red, green, blue, yellow, and you get points in each of those colors. And the player that has the lowest uh, or sorry, the highest lowest color, like their lowest color is seven. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like weird things like that, that just like that would never come up in video game design because Hmm. it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a different, um, it's like a different world or in Battlestar Galactica, the game that you know, uh, the, uh, the destiny deck, something like that, where you have, you know, players putting things into a deck and then you mix in two cards from the, from the other thing, you know, the, the, the sort of random shuffled deck, or I forget what it was exactly, but um, sure to sort of obscure and actually, you know what actually is a pretty good mix is among us. Among us is like a little bit and, and games like that are starting to, to me have some more of that, like, just like, Oh, where that's a weird rule. I haven't, I've never heard of a rule like that. Whereas video games historically, the like they don't really have weird rules. you know what I mean? Like they, they have very normal rules, (laughs) like uh, generally. The, the reason for that
1: is like ridiculously practical. Mm -hmm. like, you can have a card that changes the way the whole game works, but then um, if you want to change the whole way a game works via coding, it's just a disaster fest. True. Uh, you need to, you need to make everything be so flexible to be able to be shifted the way you can in board games. Uh, also, I, I I find that there are th- ways of thinking and design systems that feel fine in board games and are just awful in video games, mm. and so. There's like a balance you need to find of avoiding those things um in ways that I think are really hard for designers to get their head around. Like look at um uh Tharsis, do you know that game? Oh yeah, By sure. Zach, Zach Age, Age yeah. If that was a board game, no one would have any problem with it. Like huh. you lose all the time, you roll die, you get stuck with those things. But as a board as a video game, people were just utterly livid. Um and I think part of that is just the user Expectation is different for board games. Mm-hmm. Um, like luck is so much more a part of it when you're holding a physical dice. Whereas like we're used to in board in computer games, XCOM having a 95% chance to hit or whatever, and actually the numbers being fudged or whatever. Sure. We're used to that. Um so there's a there's an expectation difference, but I think honestly, it also just feels different when a computer tells you um hey that's bad you know you got fucked you got screwed um but versus like when your dice roll does it there's there's something much more satisfying about it um and similarly like um there's uh, i had another example but i can't remember it of like systems you know that just simply don't feel as good
0: um well I think I think the the, the thing that you got that you pointed out earlier was this idea of languages and how there are these different sort of languages and you you set people up for a certain experience and you know one of the the roguelike tradition actually is sort of maybe exceptional in the video game space and I guess maybe now the roguelite uh sort of uh subgenre or whatever you want to call it but that that has uh the expectation of it of so like I think Tharsis came out like a little bit before the roguelite phenomenon and mm. and zach of course was hip to roguelikes but i think that it wasn't like themed like a roguelike and people didn't necessarily know about that kind of stuff at that time so i think mm. that's probably that to me that seems like maybe that had something to do with that reaction um is yeah that, yeah these like genre convention kind of things
1: yeah there's definitely i i do think you're right in that we're we're heading to some sort of um, design singularity, I don't know, where you can have a good crossover between the two that's uh, really satisfying. I do love it. I did play a game recently that um, just felt like a board game, an indie game where they just messed up the rules constantly. And it just felt like the experience of playing, you know, a game like Gloomhaven or something like that, mm. where it's just like they're all over the place. But I think another another ironic conflict is because board games are player driven you need like for a rule set to be enacted uh you have to understand it Mm. uh and so if you don't understand it you could play something wrong and the game still generally works and you don't know it whereas if you flip things on its head in a video game and the player doesn't know what's going on and doesn't intuit the reasoning and the logic behind it, uh, it just becomes this, this game's stupid, you know, like you Mm. don't, I I don't get what's going on you know, like, just negative feelings towards uh, the way, you know, like, why did it react this way? I have no clue, whereas with a board game, you have to know like, right, now the AI of this, like, dungeon crawler game is different now they all chase this player, you have to physically know that Mm -hmm. um, to be able to do that, whereas in a video game, you need to convey that via UI and not too much reading because people hate reading. And, you know, there's a lot of boundaries to overcome, I think. Uh, So I will go on. Also, I think board game players have to be a little bit more uh, literate with rule systems, whereas game video game players don't have to be. I mean, if you're you're aiming for the market that is board game and super game design literate people Mm. then you know there's a lot you can do but if you're going for the general public I mean that's why I like your example of um, uh, the name's escaping me Uh, the space board game like uh, phenomenon indie sold Uh, billions of uh, copies
0: (laughs) wait you're, you're thinking of a specific game?
1: Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, Among Us. <laughs> she's oh, like, Among she's, Us, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like that, you know, you let people customize their rules and, like, pick the mm. way things that work for them, you know, that that's part of what makes it feel like a board game to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And 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 also just, um, you know, there's <clears throat> I've just seen the video game uh, industry kind of uh, another example is uh, auto chess, actually, I think is a pretty good example of like, clearly, to me, that looks like a drafting game, you know, like, or, or at least something mm. related to a drafting game, someone who mm. played drafting games, cool. uh, kind of like thought of that idea. And so anyway, I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, I wonder what you What is the role of, if there is any, of, like, I guess, game design theory or, um, I don't know, like, I don't know how else to put it. Um, So something that's that's kind of been a big project of mine over the last, like, 10, 15 years is, you know, trying to write stuff down and trying to come up with, like, terms that explain things and like this is a classic you know sort of game designer problem that we've been dealing with for a long time and i wonder what your relationship is to game design theory and if you if 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 you find yourself uh you know sort of maybe reinventing wheels or do you find yourself you know able to communicate with a with other game designers easily about things that you know uh you feel strongly about or um Uh, yeah there's a bunch of weird semi questions in there and pick from them as you like sure i'll see where it takes me i (laughs)
1: guess but before that you just reminded me like the thing that most feels like board games and video games is probably like starcraft mods like Mm. that was like such a starcraft two mods it was just such a crazy space and i wish there was another space like that maybe like roblox is like that i don't know
0: i actually don't Uh, know any of the starcraft two mods i knew the starcraft one mods but uh yeah i don't know if you you have any good examples let me know like you know the custom levels where
1: people yeah, are yeah. making like action rpg plus like tower defense plus like card deck building like <laughs> nonsense it's just like amazing you know like that you know that's what auto chess was it's just someone throwing every freaking design mm. like trick into the book and see what comes out of the blender yeah. or whatever um yeah so Game design theory. I don't have a great relationship with it. Uh, I try to read a game design book that, like, my brother would suggest to me, and I get so bored Mm. um, or just so utterly confused. There's so many times, like, my brother taught game design for a while, Mm. and he, you know, he would, we would be talking about something and he would be using language and examples from the literature and stuff. And I would be like, Brian, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he would just explain it in plain language. You're like, oh, duh. Yeah, of course. Mm. Um, so, also, the way we design and the way we work is generally Matt and I just talk on Slack. Like, we don't meet in person. We don't, uh, there's not a lot of people like, we're not managing a whole team of designers or something. Mm-hmm. So we just have to like make sure we both are in the same page. Sure. And very often, what that ends up being is just needing really to be able to explain your thoughts and reasoning. Um, maybe I can't compare with other people, but just judging from responses to the way I talk about game design, perhaps more so than most people um, in game design, we have to, for some reason, like really clearly explain like the logic behind a design system that we have. Like, I honestly, it could just be the way that we are as people and the way we think about things. But like, uh, talking to another designer, it'll be like he'll propose an idea for his game, and I'll be like, okay, but what's the reasoning behind it? Like, what function does this design system play? What, what how is it supposed to interact? And so, the fact that you know, and he may—I don't know—find that kind of surprising. His question, since every now, now and then, so I feel like that reason why we talk, the way, just the way Matt and I communicate, um, makes it really much more easy for me to explain my des- design ideas in a very terrible, garbage
0: language. <laughs> well, you have a you have a localized <laughs> language basically in that community of basically. two, right? Yeah, and and I and I, so to- I, mean, I, I totally know about comment. that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that that's the that's the thing that sort of frustrates me is that we're all I feel all of us. I'm the same as you in that regard, pretty much. I mean, I write some stuff down, but like, you know, nobody uses it. Like, uh, and 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 that's the thing. Like, uh, that that's what I it sort of frustrates me sometimes is that we're all off on our own little corners and our own little islands. Kind of a lot of times, working out the same problems over and over again, and sure. coming up with new words for them, and then like. That that branch kind of like dies off, you know what I mean? Like when we either stop making games or, we, you know, we whatever we, we break up as a as a team or, you know, even if it's in 50 years, whatever. The, the point is that 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 branch sort of of knowledge is like not necessarily uh, it's continued through the game, because I, I think that is one thing that probably you would agree on is like uh, the best. Uh, game design theory essay is probably a game itself, right? That like exhibits certain things about systems, which I think your games actually are great at doing Uh, like Into the Breach, I think has a lot of um, uh, lessons, I I guess you could say that, that it shows people. And, um, and, but, but I I also think that um, I don't know, I, I'm often frustrated by the fact that, you know, I just feel like, uh, designers are so disconnected. I come from music; my background's in music, and uh, it's it feels like a very different. Um, I mean, of course, there's some like you know of that localization and stuff and within like a band or whatever. But um, it feels like there's more of an institution and more of a. This has gotten better a little bit over the years, but uh, you know, like five, ten years ago, uh, it really just. Um, It just felt like everyone's out on their own little islands, making their own little things, and then that branch of this discipline uh, just ends up going nowhere. And, uh, you know, that's not a problem that every game designer has to work on or anything, but uh, that's just a thing that uh, I think about a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do find that everyone who you know, posts a game design blogs and talks about the reasoning publicly in, you know, forums or just Twitter or anything. It's like um, self-selecting for the type of person who would be willing to A, write it up and B, Mm. talk about it publicly. So even if you look at every single example of people trying to unify our ability to discuss about these things, you're still just seeing a subset of the people because there's so many people I know who know about game design well, but have no interest in talking about publicly. This is the reason, honestly, why I was uh, convinced to do more things like going to talk, do talks internationally or uh, do more podcasts and stuff. Like I, I, every day or whatever, I think, oh, I should really like, you know, share some of the thoughts I have. Not that I think my thoughts are so important, but like there are every, people find them helpful. Like they say mm-hmm. that they're helpful. So I should at least, you know, increase the chances that someone will uh, find this and have ability to learn from my personal experiences. Like the, you know, there's, there's a ton of lessons you can learn from End of the Breach, but you won't. Be able to learn what it took us to get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 trials and tribulations to get to that final design. Why we even ended up choosing that design? You wouldn't know that from the game. You would have to talk to us. I guess not. If not, even sure we know them ourselves so so perfectly. But yeah, like I don't. uh The idea of writing up a, a long article with art and
0: examples is just like ugh, makes me wanna go to bed <laughs> yeah no i get it especially these days people don't read articles now it's all youtube videos which is even more work mm. you know do video yeah, editing or
1: self-selecting yes for who'd be willing to talk about it like yeah like you look uh, i do think in general the game design dialogue has shifted considerably in just the sort of general public that is Amateur game designers, you know, pro game designers and just interested game players like that, that dialogue, you look at the the videos that are YouTube videos talking about game design, that it's basically marketed towards non game developers. And it's it's getting better, like the, the the things and topics they're talking about. But it is kind of hard sometimes to see like echo chambers of um you know hobby or armchair game designer videos Mm -hmm. discussing game production and what's wrong with it and then getting into a circular everyone agreeing about that's what's wrong with game dev when it's Mm -hmm. like oh man you've never actually launched the game have you because (laughs) you would probably have a different opinion if, if you went through that whole process um so like i do think there's something dangerous about uh Uh, Too much, you know. This like self-selecting group being, you know, those with the loudest voices are the ones making all the videos and stuff. And so, it would be. uh, I, I don't see a solution, though. I don't know how to get all the quiet game developers to suddenly want, myself included, to suddenly want to. I don't know. Create a common language and a common yeah i mean I feel similarly about like the academic space like there' it's like a self selecting group for the people who are so interested in the theory as a whole that the it just the language they use just gets progressively more and more inaccessible to everyone else I feel mm-hmm. like
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, and I mean, I think, well, it's a civilizational project. I think it's not necessarily something that a couple of, you know, some number of game developers have to decide one day to do. It's like something mm-hmm. that, that will happen sort of naturally over time. And part of it is that, you know, academics creating this like secret language that only they know. And, uh, you know, and, and also people on the Internet, like all, you know, saying, oh, well, the obvious answer to this design question is blankety blank, you know, and uh, that's that's part of it too. Too, I think it's all—it's all kind of part of it. I've just, I just—I—I hope that it happens. I, I'm excited to see it happen because I do think that um, literacy, uh, game design literacy across the board um, with players, designers, uh, and everyone else is going to um, be a. Uh, going back to board games, um, I think that there's two things that we didn't touch on that about board games and why they are more allowed to be more systemic-y and more game design. Ooh, clever, you know, idea-ish. And one of them is that it's a smaller industry. So it's, you know, less profit-driven, I feel like. Video games are like, Mm. they cost a lot to make, and they need to make a lot back, and so Mm. um, that's one of the things, but the other thing is that because it's a small industry, uh, I I feel like there's a they have, you know, like Board Game Geek, for example, is like this community um, that we don't have like that for video games. You know what I mean? Like, we have a million other disparate communities, um, and they all have their own little worlds, but like, for board game players and designers as well, it's like it's board game geek, you know, and like maybe like one or two conventions like Gen Con and things like that. Um, and so the fact I mean, that it's, it's yeah,
1: if you look at smaller niche markets of video games, it can be like that. You know, like Toho can be like BGG. You know, you mm-hmm. can have you know music games or whatever have a similar audience. I think, it, like you said, it's just too big. It's yeah. games as a whole it incorporates, you know the the average gamer by money spent and time spent is like you know a middle-aged housewife technically um from all the the candy crush and stuff like that too so it's like if you're
0: talking about games it's 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 a way way too big so when did what year did ftl come out 2012 okay so that was like that was like towards the end-ish half of, like, this boom, I would say, of, like, this indie, indie explosion sort of thing that was happening. And I would like to get your opinion on what is the state of, like, the indie games industry today. Like, if you were starting out from scratch right now, um... Or if someone else was, um, you know, like, what would you tell them to expect about the industry as it's changed between now and ten years ago? Um, yeah, let's say now and ten years ago, twenty eleven, for example.
1: Uh, I would say don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the expect to make a thousand dollars after whether you put six months to five years into a game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know five hundred copies is like what, the average, not even the median, something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um, the So uh, I would say it's an amazing space to explore and find community and uh, make cool stuff together. But do not do it. Don't go into game dev if there's any financial risk whatsoever. Um, and 100% make something way, way smaller. Like, this is not the time to make a dream game and have it put all your time and effort into it for years and years. Um, it's just, you know, assuming it's not just a hobby project that you can do on the side of another job, then go do whatever you want. But if you're talking about, like, indie games as a as a industry, it's a rough time. It's so, <laughs> the market is so incredibly flooded that um there's no there's no golden ticket anymore for getting marketability unless you literally basically just win the lottery in terms of the odds uh of of what uh can be interesting to streamers and YouTubers like that's the only way to go basically nuts these days um or make a survival game apparently good survival <laughs> games
0: Don't, do do you see that market for it Do you see that changing ever or like do you you, what do you expect what do you think would have to change in order for there to be conditions like what we saw back then because like you know uh, it it, I I guess I guess maybe there isn't I don't know if there's necessarily an answer to that one but um, but yeah like what do you think like is there a way that there could be such a thing again or does it have to be in like a new space like uh, you know like some new VR thing or something like that
1: uh i i don't think there's any going back to that maybe if some sort of completely new medium or something like that but you know i lo- ftl was launched back when you had to get approval for each game on steam so like it, it was one of four games that came out in the week mm-hmm. um, maybe and the one indie game that like in like a couple weeks like or maybe a month the, or something like that mm-hmm. I don't know, um that like steam approved or whatever so like just simply existing you got visibility um even if the market was crazy tiny for indie games back then and the market might be 10 times bigger right now there's 10,000 times as many games so mm-hmm. like it's not even comparable um in terms of you know like when i did when we did the kickstarter for FTL that was right when uh double fine Launched their adventure game Kickstarter, which is when games press actually paid attention to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So, like, we weren't there, there was no precedence for um, games being on Kickstarter before we did ours, essentially. Uh, and so, I we just rode that wave, we just like, just yeah. complete, you know, complete accident timing. So, um, I don't know. The thing is that game dev just gets so much easier you could mm-hmm. you could make something in a week that would take like a couple of months you know like in unity or unreal or something nowadays It just that would take a really knowledgeable person a long time mm-hmm. a amateur can do in you know a week and that just means that you know it's great because we'll have so many more ideas and so many more uh people who didn't have access to education or or the games development education specifically or or work in big studios in in i don't know Indonesia or somewhere and they can just jump in as all basically even kids and come up with some idea that just shakes up the whole game world like that's that's incredible but um yeah there's no going back to that level of of i don't know visibility and and the, the, that sort of space where i don't know there's just with so much less <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting that you that there was only about four games released in a week on Steam. I think there's like four hundred. Don't quote me those numbers. I don't. No, I don't remember. I, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was in that space. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. That's that's incredible. So, um, uh, I wanted to ask about um, so uh, let's talk about Into the Breach a little bit. Like, um, I did want to. You were mentioning the um the sort of that story of you kind of like going through, like what did you go through to produce that? And specifically, I want to know, like systemically, um, you know, in terms of like rules, uh, what what were you kind of like going for and what, give me some examples of things that you tried that like didn't work um, and uh, things like that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess Into the Breach started as uh in the same way that we did with FTL, FTL was like, uh, let's make a game that makes you feel like a spaceship captain. And so, you know, that could be a fu- that could be anything. You could just make up tons of games. So with this, Matt uh, wanted to make a game where collateral damage mattered. Mm-hmm. So um, damaging the buildings, you know, you look at Star... Uh, star uh, no, you look at Superman, the movie or something, and just the whole city gets blown up just for visual sake. We wanted to have something where it felt important mm. when buildings get destroyed um and you would be willing to sacrifice yourself for it so it started as a normal turn based game um you know just tactics each each character went in individual turns and then we tried the you know, final Fantasy like 10 style time bar and abilities having different time lengths and we tried uh lots of stuff there um but the big thing that was The iterative black hole was the fact that we were trying to make a bigger game around it. So we were trying to make a XCOM-style city management system. So we got the sort of basics of a combat in and moved on to trying to figure out, okay, how can we have, uh, you know, building repair and sort of text events and you know you send your multiple squads to different cities and hold back the threat that that's spreading between the cities and have to retreat to your home base and and send a pilot away on like a away mission sort of thing that might give you resources and you have to spend money to repair your mechs and uh just you know time a a clock and and choosing time speeds uh, of the game. We basically iterated that stuff for like two and a half years um, and every six months or so we'd throw the whole thing out and then try again because it was trash. Um, In the end the game that we ended up with um, was basically our last ditch, like we're going to give up on this because this is miserable and we can't keep doing this. Um, so what works now Mm -hmm. well having enemies predict to show their attacks beforehand in combat that kind of works that's kind of fun okay what if the entire game is that there's no there's no city there's no uh, mission you know mission systems there's no you know pilot stress and time travel Mm -hmm. mechanics and system Um, and so just throw a bunch of combat in a row and force you to fight battles over and over. And so basically the final game was us failing to make the game we wanted to make. Mm. But we tried to basically um, make it as utterly small and as simple as possible and focused as possible after that, since it was the only thing that actually was just fun uh, to play.
0: And the focus was on that sort of like that um, AI prediction uh, mechanism where you could see where the AI was going to go and and then what you could do with that?
1: Yeah, I guess the, the core thing was perfect information. That, that's the thing we kept going back to of, you, you know, they're in, like, Fire Emblem, if all the AI was smart and just attack the same person over and over again, you would just lose every single time, or at mm-hmm. least you would lose most of your people every time. But they don't. So you're like balancing as a player. All right, how do I get them to spread their attacks out? How do I guess where they might go? And you know, all that sort of stuff. So if you remove all of that, and you just know exactly what the enemy is going to do every single time, what would be the fun in that? You know, that, that that's what we were trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you make perfect information fun Hmm. and the answer for us was uh shifting in movement and using the enemy's attacks against them and stuff like that. that that that's what we found was enjoyable
0: nice yeah um yeah, like, like I've uh, I've been also exploring that same kind of space for a while uh, in terms of like, you know, one of my big things is bumping. Like I I, I, I we have a, a meme on my discord uh, that's called add a ball to every game. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of a joke, but it's also sort of not a joke in that, like. Not necessarily like a real-time, you know, physics bouncy ball, but um, the properties of a ball is a, is that it can be, you know, bumped or kicked, and then it, it responds in a way that's on the grid or in the space. And so I think a lot—the uh, other thing I always say is, like, put it on the grid, you know, because— um, a lot of times we have like these like RPG kind of um, systems and, uh, you know, maybe you have a grid like a game that comes to mind for me is like Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, which again, I mean, that's a gotcha. And so it's kind of its own animal, but um, it's it's a good example of a very small grid that doesn't have a lot of um, that kind of like ball-like quality you know the the bumping around and that kind of tactical stuff that uh is in into the breach and um instead what it has is a taught every character is actually like a big mess of spreadsheets and they all sort of just interact with each other other's like on an integer level and um so yeah something that i've been that's a bit of game design theory that i you know, I feel like I feel like there's something to it. Um, of in terms of uh, you know putting things on the grid, you have this grid. It's this big space. It's so intuitive for people. People understand the idea of like, okay, I bump him there and he moves there. Now all there's all these different relationships that happen. There's emergence and second order effects, right? Um, whereas when I just reduce his hit points from thirty to twenty um it doesn't have the same kinds of uh sort of like knock on effects uh it isn't as dynamic um i wonder if that's something that you've um you would formalize further and and in looking into your your future work or um or if it was that was do you see that as just like no this is just a thing that worked well for into the breach specifically i'm i'm not
1: 100% sure i follow some of the the analogies there but basically like um Removing hidden information and not being worried about like what weapon they're using that you have to click on and you check them and then you check your weapon and that sort of stuff. Instead, everything is visible all the time. Is that what
0: you mean? Well, no, it doesn't. Ha- I mean, uh, the I'm not saying necessarily visible or invisible. Like, like it, if the if the character just has a ton of stats, those stats could all be visible, like on some menu at all times. But um, what I'm saying is specifically put this, put that information, express that stuff on the grid as much as possible. So, for example, like let's say uh, your characters don't have health at all, and instead there's like a you know it's like a sumo ring or something, and and their health, quote unquote, is how far they are from getting bumped out of the ring. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's a way to express health in a, in a way that's on the grid, kind of. That that and the reason does that make sense? Yeah, basically. Uh, it's not about putting making it a- directly
1: into mechanics rather than having stuff be abstracted. Like if, if yeah. you want health to have it, have it be a core system. Don't just have it be some menu floating number well, thing.
0: Well, I'm I'm not saying don't have numbers, you know, but I'm saying that like, um, where you want dynamics and where you want things to be like exciting and interesting. And, um, you know, th- have things like second order effects and, you know, emergent complexity. Um, like putting things onto the grid expressing them on the grid so like a, a spatial movement you know like bump this unit back or like pull this unit towards me or bounce this unit over here that kind of stuff is um you know is is, is more dynamic than just shifting numbers around i guess sure. is like yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah i mean that that's you know that's the core design principle going into the breach is yeah i'm not a big fan of just the Numbers games, uh, Pokemon combat, or, or mm-hmm. uh, Fire Emblem Heroes systems or anything like that. Because t- in my mind, what is that system telling me? It's saying, I have to hit this guy two times and then he dies. Um, And some number of stat increases will reduce that to one time. One uh-huh. hit or two hits from three hits. So... Why not just have three health and do two damage? <laughs> or, you know, like, right. w- w- what the hell? What's the difference? Like, the, mechanically, it's just atmosphere. You're just saying, all right, luck, increase it. But, like, systems wise, you're just saying, I don't know. Like, uh, I prefer, I prefer, I think that's like a core design philosophy is basically obfuscate what's happening enough so that you can make it feel like you're getting better even if there is no tangible difference you know like going plus you know going from 80 strength to eighty to strength will have maybe zero effect on a battle but it you know you're feeling progress and so there's this you you're hiding what the calculation is to do damage like that's that's like a whole world of game design um philosophy and i think we come from the philosophy of as much as possible let us consider. Let the player me, because I design for myself basically. Um, let me be able to think about what the consequences of each of my actions are. I want to feel that pressure of the you know each decision being on me. Whereas uh, you know a lot of people don't enjoy into the breach. You know, they they feel too much pressure from you know like there being no randomness in, in terms of you know outcomes of their attacks and. And if they fail, it feels like they're, it's their fault, and they hate that. Fine. I mean, I love that. So, uh, I, you know, I want to know exactly what the consequences are, um, essentially
0: yeah and um, I mean to me like the like when you talked about that example of like okay he's got 80 health so I do 30 damage so when I hit him the third time it'll kill him that kind of thing you know yeah. um, it just like shuts down my imagination and in exactly the same the opposite way if I see that I can like boot someone and knock them a couple tiles away or like fling them somewhere my brain kind of like opens up and I'm like oh I wonder what else I can do with this tool you know what I mean like what else could be possible with this and that feeling of yeah like creative inspiration like that's what I'm on the search for in games and game game design
1: yeah it's sort of interactive you know, systemic design essentially things yeah. having cascading effects the breath of the wild cut the tree rolling mm-hmm. enemies light on fire stuff.
0: absolutely yeah, yeah 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 all right so what kind of games do you see yourself making in the future and also what are you working on now if you can talk about it um
1: uh, we've uh, we've made a bunch of like prototypes that we give up on. Like that's just how how it goes. And I, you know, we we would not want to announce anything until we're a hundred percent sure it would be the thing that we're going to release. Sure. It's just because we don't want to give anyone expectations. Yeah, uh, yeah. We want to have you. yeah, we want to have the freedom to just give up on something if it's terrible mm-hmm. um, <laughs> without letting people down. Um, in terms of what type of things I want to make uh, a- as subset games it's interesting because uh, the types of games that we make are the crossover between Matt and my interest and you know that seems to be a kind of narrow space in terms of um, what we both find enjoyable like mm. I love I love shmups right like matt would never want to make or play a shmup Uh, so so as as me an individual i'll probably keep as long as i have energy keep poking at making little games all the time i guess but in terms of subset games uh i don't know how to describe this crossover you know it's a lot of let's see a a bit tact a bit strategy-ish a bit tactic-ish always having a, a priority of no nested UI and clear information, and um, choice having importance, not necessarily permadeath, you know, but just feeling like you're, there's consequences to your actions. And we are terrible at making stories and characters and and atmosphere and settings. So probably games that don't rely too heavily on that, and instead rely heavily on mechanics and systems and inter- interacting, interlocking mechanics and stuff like that just seems to be what we gravitate towards
0: yeah that sounds sounds good to me i'm really excited for whatever you guys do next um what uh so my last question is uh what are you playing these days do you is there anything that you're excited about or that you've played recently that uh was interesting even if it's old or just new to you i've let's see I've
1: been having to just burn through a whole bunch of indie games recently, that um, for a judging of a award um, award show, and so I haven't had much time to just play for fun. Um, I wish I had time to play Valheim. I have been playing a bit of Star Wars Battlefront, Battlefront Two, just with my brother. In terms, I, I really of the judging and stuff. I really enjoyed a game called Quantum Protocol, which honestly might fit a good bill for fit the bill for stuff you were talking about earlier of like a board game design methodology that could only be done in video games. Hmm. Um, it's like a card game system uh with roguelike elements and deck building mid battle and it's it, it it breaks my brain but in a good way um <laughs> i i've enjoyed that um let me think if there's anything oh i, I finally cuz i got a better computer where i am right now uh, i finally started playing half-life alex which is also mind-blowing in a different way uh, nice yeah, I don't well, know. Uh, give me give
0: me some comments on that one because I don't know much about uh, Half-Life Alex, but what are your what's your take on it?
1: I guess one takeaway that I've had is, is it has the system where you can grab objects from a distance by mm-hmm. sort of gesturing towards it, um, gripping, and then flicking your wrist back as if you basically had a string tied on some light object in the distance. And you basically okay. pull anything towards you. Um, and it feels so comfortable that, like, it just feels like it's the way the world works now. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels like this should exist in reality. So it's really kind of painful to take off and not not have that ability anymore. But it, like, so the... I guess it's impressed me on the malleability of the brain in terms of what reality is. If If you could... Make systems that basically feel like they match the way our physical body understands the world. There's a lot you can do there um, yeah. that the just feel, feels amazing. Anyways, gameplay wise, um, uh, it's kind of horrorish, and I, I'm terrible with horror games. You yeah. know, but what's funny is it's so video game, like it's so like you know as a game designer I, I see what they're doing like if you enter a room and both characters start talking you know there's gonna be no enemies because it would be terrible to, to have yeah. to like interrupt discussions and stuff like that sure or you know the first time I see a new enemy I a hundred percent know it's not going to be able to attack me uh, for at least a little while because mm-hmm. they're trying to introduce mechanics and systems so like the horror elements are kind of I'm protected by my knowledge of game design but um interesting as yeah but it really kind of does feel like um playing half-life 2 for the first time yeah. uh, the sort of mind like expanding oh this is what games can be uh I, it definitely it feels amazing to play a triple vr game that feels like a triple vr game um so, so I do recommend it to people who have
0: access to it. Um, but I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, well, all right. Thank you so much. Um, unless there's anything else you want to say, uh, anything you want to like plug or you know uh, like point people towards, where can people learn more about you and uh, Subset Games, your website, and all that?
1: Man, uh, <laughs> SubsetGames.com is just our website. My Twitter is jarmustard. But I literally just tweet, you know, game dev art and drawings and pixel art. So uh, I don't know. There's not much you can, <laughs> not much I can point to to find out more about us. But, okay, uh, well that's... I guess there's talks on YouTube. If you're more interested in like into the breach and how it was, uh, how we made the decisions we actually made. Uh, Matt did a talk at GDC, which is available on YouTube.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.